week 10, the beloved is calling. <clears throat> Man, I feel his presence tonight. So good. For those of you that may be walking into this for the first time, we are talking about two main characters in the Song of Songs, the Shulamite woman and the king, the bride, the bridegroom. It's a representation of the church and Jesus, a marriage between the two. We are the beloved's precious bride, and he is our beloved. God invites us to walk in a close, intimate, familiar relationship with him. As we've seen in chapter 2, the Shulamite woman and her beloved are having a conversation on a walk, taking delight in each other. Over and over, they're talking about how, how much they, they love each other, how much they uh, are infatuated with each other, getting familiar with each other. The woman is seeing her worth as someone called out by the king, and the king is confirming her worth. She sees worth in resting in the shadow of his presence, and he responds to this revelation of, wow, God actually wants me to walk with him. He responds by saying, you know what? Don't even wake up until you're ready to wake up from this. Sometimes we have these experiences with God that we think we have to move from. And I want to just give you some peace that unless God has said to move from it, he says it's okay to dwell in that place. There's this picture of her dwelling in the shade tree of the apple tree and that, uh, that, that there is a presence in the shadow of God. And the, the beloved, the king, looks at the Shulamite woman and says, hey, you stay as long as you want. It's a picture of this relationship between the bride and God, the church and God, taking delight in him, seeing that he provides everything we need, that we don't earn it, we're granted it by the mercy of God because we are the beloveds. Now last week we ended on verse 8, and I want to read it again because we're going to see the Shulamite woman waking up from this posture of just being in the presence of her beloved. In Song of Songs, chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, it says, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, this is the king talking, not to awaken love until the time is right. And then the Shulamite woman says, Ah, I hear my lover coming. He's leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. This woman in Song of Solomon 2 went on a walk. And she fell into this moment where she was weak with love, getting lost in familiarity and intimacy with the king. And when she got lost in it, there was only one thing that woke her up from it. And it was the sound of his voice. And she is overwhelmed with joy at the sound of his voice. Not just with the thought of what she's waking up from, but the thought of what she's waking up to. Some, it's not just the thought of, I am my beloved's, I have a relationship with my beloved. But she was waking up excited that she's entering into a new season and a new level of more communion with her beloved. And many times I think we get overwhelmed with first encounters with God and experience. But I wonder if we're at a place where we still get overwhelmed with the thought of even more communion offered every day the thought of even more relationship offered than you could ever experience. Do you want what God can accomplish in you, or do you simply want God? Is your testimony still all about when you got saved? Or are you developing testimony about what he's doing every day by way of your communion? Because we love to talk about the day we get saved. But I'm going to tell you right now as a leader of this house, at this point... For a lot of us, I'm less interested about the day you got saved than I'm more interested in what happened yesterday, what happened today. There is an open invitation to a communion with God that was just as significant as the day you said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There is an invitation to more and more and more always. And this Shulamite woman is overwhelmed that her beloved is coming to her. Let me tell you something. You don't find God. You wake up to your beloved God calling you. John 6, says this. 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I'll raise them up. No one can come unless you've been sent. Unless there's a call. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by Holy Spirit. God, our beloved, is always the one who initiates. And I think it's a picture of how good he is because he doesn't initiate the call once you believe in him. He initiates the call the moment you were born into separation. It is up to us to say yes and wake up to the voice of our beloved. Ezekiel 34, 11 through 12. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. How does he find us? He searches for those who are seeking him. And in his sovereignty, in his all-knowing ways, people seek God without even knowing they're seeking God. I've seen twice now the movie Jesus Revolution. Many people have probably heard people talking about it over and over. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to go check it out. But one thing that stood out to me was the pastor was talking to Lonnie Frisbee because he was like, I don't want these hippie people coming up in my church. I don't want these people who are far gone coming up in my church. And Lonnie Frisbee sat down with him and he said, you know what, all, all these hippies who are finding what they believe is freedom and, and drugs and promiscuity, he says, they're all looking for the same thing. And he said, what are they looking for? And he said, they're looking for God. But they're settling for something as less than because let's be honest, the church hasn't shown them a virgin God that they want to cling to. And in this day, we need to do less finger pointing and more open arms so that people will start to understand that our God loves you just where you are. And that voice awakens them to a walk that walks out of their current posture. And like God says in Ezekiel, these people are scattered and they're searching for me. And I'm here waiting for them to wake up to love. And we, the church, must get so lost in our relationship with God that the people who are searching for God that don't even know they're searching for God see something in a group of people who are overwhelmed and lost in a familiarity with our beloved. He calls out to us first. Unfortunately, the group of people that should be showing the love of God have become the group of people that can't wait to boycott something next. Whether it's a government thing or a movie thing, it's interesting talking about the, the, the seven places of influences, the, the mountains of government and art and all these things. There's so many different theological schools saying we don't need to embrace seven mountain theology. If you never heard what that is, it's people who don't know what the heck they're talking about trying to label something. You know what it is? The church should influence everything. And that is what we believe in this house, that we are to be influencing everything. Because if we believe it all belongs to him, then it all should look like him. So we're not just going to stand aside and wait for something to change. We're going to be the ones to influence the change. He calls out to us first, and that should wake us up to this joy of, wow, I want to walk with God even more into new places, into unfamiliar places, into places where no one has ever gone before because I trust in my beloved. He says he's leaping over mountains and bounding over the hills. But this is more than just a picture of how much he loves us and how affectionate he is. You see, this belo the beloved, this king, and the Shulamite woman are separated by mountains and hills. However, the lie is that the mountains and hills separate. They're separated by the mountains and hills. But the lie that the enemy wants you to believe is that you're separated. Let me read Romans 8, 38 through 39. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels or demons, fears for today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
You know what that just said? No demon is powerful enough to separate you. No issue you have is powerful enough to separate you. No past you have is powerful enough to separate you. No power in the sky above or on the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. And we're quick to say amen to that. But if you understand that nothing can separate you from love, then why won't we submit to love's embrace when God calls you to a great thing? Because a lot of times when God calls you to a great thing, you start to define the separation. I'm not ready. You not being ready does not separate you from call. I'm not good enough. How dare you come out of agreement with what God says? Because God says, even in your form right now, he has made you good enough. And if you would trust in that, you would start to walk with him out of your current position. But we think we've got to get good to take a good walk. When God says, no, 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 come with me on the walk because I already see you as good. But we start listing the reasons. Well, I don't know enough Bible. I haven't taken theology classes. In this day, I think the most influential church will be a church of people who don't take theology. Because the theology we're teaching in theological schools ain't working nowhere. You know what's working? Crazy people started worshiping God for days upon days while the theological students said it wasn't real. Is that, that too much? Okay, okay. I know it's not. Walking in your calling has to flow from a posture of an embrace rather than trying to prove something. It's love's embrace where you have all you need in order to begin. And a lot of times we start beating ourselves up over life circumstances and we try to do one thing. We try to hide from God, especially when he calls you with his voice to wake up from your slumber. Genesis 3.8 says this. Is this okay tonight? Okay. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they did what? They hid from the Lord God among the trees. The greatest tragedy of the separation of sin had less to do with the action and more to do with the fruit of the action. It causes us to hide. It causes us to hide out of fear. See, later on, this isn't up there, but in verse 10, after God called out to them, Adam said, I heard you and I hid because I was afraid. The greatest issue in the garden was that Adam had no reason to have an unhealthy fear of God. But that, that lie of separation caused him to hide. You ever notice that God went looking and said, where are you? Because the issue was, even though you ate of that, why aren't you with me? Where'd you go? We hid. We got scared. And the biggest point of tonight's message, I'm going to read it right here. Hiding in a secret place is simply a perversion of our call to stay in his secret place. Hiding in your secret place is simply a perversion of our calling to stay in his secret place. We hid away from the most holy place, convincing ourselves that our secret place is better. And people get lost in their own secret places. People get lost in secret places of drunkenness. People get lost in secret places of alone. People get lost in secret places of I don't need to be around anyone when that's probably the best place for you to be around. We tend to define our own secret places. And I'm not saying alone is bad because there's plenty of time when Jesus got alone. But make sure your alone is in his presence and not your own secret place. Because we'll retreat into these hiding places. But the Father, the Beloved, is always calling us into his shadow. Verse 9, my lover is like a swift gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he is behind the wall, looking through the window, peering into the room. There he is behind the wall, looking through the window, peering into the room. Now remember, the Shulamite woman wakes up, hears her beloved calling. She's like, he's leaping over the hills. He's leaping over the mountains. Even though we're separated, he's coming through all that. And then there's a shift. She goes from waking up to an embrace to this picture of her being 
in a room. If you go back to the original Hebrew language, the king behind the wall looking through the window into the room is more accurately translated this. He comes close even to the places I hide. A lot of times we are walking with God and the very next thing we know, we're in a hiding place because we're embarrassed about a bad decision. Or a, past, or a past comes up and we start to beat ourselves up from bad decisions in our past. And bad may be something as a, a big sin, but bad could also simply be that you decided not to say yes to a thing that God has called you to do. And we start to bring these things up. And the next thing you know, you go up from a walk with God to your hiding place. And God says, he comes close even to your hiding places. It's just like in the garden. God said, where are you at? I know you're hiding, but I'm coming to you because you went away. And oftentimes, we experience the embrace of God, and instead of looking forward to this communion, to this walk, to this familiarity with our beloved, we start to retreat to these hidden places. But the beloved is calling, and he is there, and he's coming to the places you hide because he wants to invite you to a better secret place. The language of Peering into the room is actually simply means looking into the soul. He comes swiftly like a gazelle going through the things that you think separate you to call you out of your perverted secret place into the right dwelling place. He says, I see you where you're at. You can't get away from me. You think you can hide. What is the perverted hiding place? You think you can get out of God's sight. But nothing can separate you from him. Hebrews 4.13 even says this. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Why is the hiding place perverted? It doesn't exist. He sees everything. Yet oftentimes we wake up to this reality of, I'm too scared to say yes to a walk. I'm not ready for the walk. You don't know what's going on in my life. But God's answer is, yes, I do. I've seen every mistake. I've seen every abuse. I've seen everything that's been done to you. I've seen everything you've done. And he says, you can't do this alone. So I sent my son to redeem you to a place of you can Revelation 2.4, but I do have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Now remember, we talked about this woman waking up to this joy of the possibility of more communion. The complaint that God had against the church in Revelation 2 is, you don't love me like you did when you first met me. And that's why I take issue if your only testimony is your salvation testimony. Because a walk with God, you should be more involved in his embrace now than you could have ever been the day you said yes. Because he wants to take you further into a redeemed identity that you had no idea you were capable of being. A walk with God is a trust to say, he knows me better than I know myself. And I'm saying yes. 1 John 4, 18 through 19. Such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. Listen to that now. Perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced this perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. I'm going to say something that some would push back on, but I'm going to say it. If you still have a fear of God that looks like hiding, you need to be awakened to a call that the beloved says, come out of that room. The fear of God leads men to repentance. But you shouldn't stay in that fear of God. There is a fear of reverence to how great he is, uh, a fear of, I don't want to imagine a life outside of God. 
But if you are in a fear of repentance where every Saturday night or every Sunday morning you're hoping to get to an altar call to repent, that shows you have not taken a walk. You're still in first experience. You need to awaken to the voice that's calling you out of that place to go to a new place. The fear of God leads you to repentance, but there is a walk past that place. The problem is some of us are still swimming in that place. We've asked forgiveness. We've told God that we don't want to, we want to move from this this area, this this place of of God, I realize I've messed up here. And you think you've got to repent 25 times of the same thing. And God says, hey, you know what repentance is? Change the way you think. And if you change the way you think, it's going to result in you walking in an opposite direction. That's an issue with the church. We want to see people come in and, and, and flood the rooms and, and flood the streets and come to Jesus, but we still won't change the way we think about the lost. God doesn't see them as issue. He sees them as, that's my sheep, and they're scattered. But the church looks at the lost as a charity case. we got to change the way we think. Why has God given us gifts? Not to make a circus called church. Okay, let me me sit there for a second. Because what we'll do is we'll start to find out our spiritual gifts. And we want to make church all about, look at my gift, look at my gift, look at my gift, look at my gift. And the world is saying, I'm waiting on it. Why has he given you a gift? To do something with it, to, 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 to take a walk with him that you were not capable of doing. I'm giving you a gift so that they can see me in you. So when they ask you things like, how are you so bold? Or how are you so gentle? Or how are you so patient? Or what's this weird language coming out of your mouth? Or how can you speak prophetically? You can say, it ain't me. It's something that God put in me because I said yes to a walk. I woke up to the voice of God calling me into a new embrace. And he will do anything to remind you of first love. Because a lot of times we forget it. And we retreat to our hiding places. We retreat to the hiding places even of our relationships, of our favorite TV shows. And I'm not trying to speak against the shows you watch tonight. I'm simply talking about, have you gone into a rhythm of hiding from a call? There's something in the scriptures that I believe illustrates this perfectly about God trying to awaken you to remember what it was like when we first met and then calling you on a different journey. In Luke 5, 1 through 11, it says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper, let down your nets to catch some fish. Now really quick, I want to make sure we know the context. Jesus comes up to two boats, and the, pe- and the two fishermen had been working all day, and they were so good that there was no fish. Jesus says, okay, let's work with this. They were fishing all day, no success. So Jesus says, let me use your boat. Then he says, cast the nets deeper. Verse 5, master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Do you realize what he said was exactly what Adam did? He hid. He said, no, 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 I cannot be in your presence. And he's about to be awakened up to that lie. He says, for he was awestruck by the number of fish that that they caught as were with others were with him. His partners James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be 
afraid. Don't fear. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. You know what Jesus had to do? He had to rebuke fear. The fear of God leads to repentance, but you cannot stay in a perversion of what fear is. Stop being afraid of God and submit to what he has, even if what you have has been from a perverted living. He says, I just want what you got. Oh, you've got nothing? I can use that. He looked at Peter and James and John and says, oh, you guys are horrible at your jobs? Give me that. You fished all night, you didn't catch anything? I can use that. So any excuse of I'm not good enough, God says, that's exactly where you need to be. Fear of God is a reverence to submission, not a chance to run and hide. Now here's where it's interesting. Later on, Jesus did this little thing where he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. That's Okay, that's not funny at all. He died on the cross, he rose from the grave, and he told his disciples... He told the man that would never say no to him. He told Peter, I'm coming back. Wait for me. Jesus resurrected, and Peter hadn't seen Jesus yet. So this is what Peter does in John 21, verse 3. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Now, I want to pause right here. Do you realize three years after walking with Jesus, they're back to the place where they first met him? They went back to their hiding place that they weren't even good at. And that's a lot of times what we do. We'll start walking in gifts in the church and start seeing change, and one offense causes you to go, oh, oh, no. And then you go back to doing something that's not changing anyone's lives, but it is changing the life that you are called to live. That's why offense is such an issue. It actually prevents you from walking into the true secret place because offense causes you to retreat to the perverted secret place. So they go fishing. They caught nothing. At dawn, Jesus stands on the beach. But the disciples could not see who he was. So he called out, y'all caught anything yet? (laughs) No, they replied. And then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul on the net because there were so many fish in it. Peter went back fishing. I wonder, do you hide behind your gift, or do you submit it? What's great about this is if you notice in the text, Jesus had the exact same conversation with him after the resurrection as he had three years prior when he first met. He had the exact same conversation three years later as he had when Peter encountered first love. Problem is, Peter didn't look forward to more communion. He went backwards. Why did he go back fishing? Because the voice of wait for me did not awaken him to there's more. He went back to a hiding place of, I know that boat. I know the empty nets. I don't know what's going here. So I have a choice. Do I awaken to possible more communion with the resurrected king? Or do I go back into my hiding place? And that's exactly where many of us are. We have an encounter with first love. We have an encounter with God. And God God calls us to more. But because the walk is unfamiliar, we retreat. That's exactly where the church is at. You know, the, the word that Paul gave earlier about ships and sails, the, the lead ship in a fleet of ships is called the apostle. You know what an apostolic church does? It goes into uncharted waters. You know how to go into uncharted waters? You have to catch the winds of the Spirit, which is why there's three sails. That's why the church should be built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, because the prophets get the wind and the apostles decide when to catch it. And the goodness of God says, 
I am so wanting you to awaken to this new place that if I have to remind you of first love over and over, I will. And he will come to remind you of the first call you had. And that's exactly why the Shulamite woman, well, that's exactly what the Shulamite woman does. In verse 10, she says this, My lover said to me, Rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. He is reminding her, just like Jesus reminds us, whatever you are to everyone else, you need to remember, to me, you are acceptable, and to me, you are my love. And some of us need to be reminded over and over that no matter what you are to anyone else, you are his. You are loved. And he invites you to come out of hiding and come away with him into a secret place that is so, so good. Isaiah 28, 9 through 10. Who does the Lord think we are, they ask. Why does he speak to us like this? Are we little children just recently weaned? Well, he tells us everything over and over. One line at a time. One line at a time. A little here and a little there. Some versions read precept upon precept. His greatness humbles even himself to say it again and again because he is so invested with you taking a walk. Stop going back to your hiding places. You know what often our hiding places are? Comfort. You, you hear the call of the beloved saying, commune with me in this walk to reach people. And you go to your hiding place of I'm not a people person. You, you, you have this call of, hey, come preach. And you say, I can't speak in front of people. What hiding place are you interested in? The shadow of his wings? Or retreating to what you knew before? Verse 11 of Song of Songs. Look, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. The flowers are springing up. The season of singing birds has come. And the cooing of turtle doves fills the air. Winter represents the past. The dark, cold, barren place. The winters of your life. But spring brings life. It talks about in the passage flowers blooming that remain dormant in the winter. They weren't dead. They just weren't blooming. Birds hiding in the winter now coming out to sing. I'll prophesy to you that spring is here. And you're going to understand that in a second. There is an invitation to come out of your winter, out of your mourning, and into a praise where you're no longer hidden in your past, rather you're being revealed in the spring. Amen. You mean say that again? There's an invitation to come out of mourning and into praise where you're no longer hidden in your past, rather you are being revealed in the spring. You are putting to shame the songs of turtle doves with praises that come from your voice. Here's the truth, guys. You will walk through winter. Can anyone testify to that? You will walk through winters. You will walk through times where it's past, it's cold, there's no fruit producing, it seems like all life's coming against you. But here's the trick. You don't wait for the spring. You bring the spring when you take a walk with the beloved. And many of us are still in a winter season when there's an invitation to come out in springtime. Stop hiding in your winter because he's calling you to the spring. We tend to say, when is this season going to pass? That's not up to God. Because I can be in the darkest time of my life, but when I start to praise him despite, I no longer see a barren season. I start to see the flowers budding. 
I start to hear the praises of turtle doves. When I am in a dark place, a winter place, when I am in a place where my past is coming up to haunt me, or when I'm in a place where I feel like nothing is going in my life, you can sit there and say, God, take it, or you can say, praise the name of Jesus. I am waking up to the call of my beloved, and if I would take a walk with my beloved, I will walk out of my winter and into spring. Spring is not waiting. Uh, spring is not a thing that you wait on. Spring is actually waiting on you. praising him in the storm, praising him in the midst of my enemy. You know what that is? That is how you war to get out of your winter. Verse 13. The fig trees are forming young fruit, and the fragrant grapevines are blossoming. Rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. What's interesting about the fig tree's fruit and the grapevines blossoming is fruit indicates that a season is here. What's even more interesting, and this just gets me pumped, (laughs) is if you read the context of the scripture, back in this time when the grapevines started blossoming, the snakes were driven away. (laughs) Y'all didn't get it. You can sit in your winter and war with an enemy. Or you can bring on the spring where the fragrance of your worship calls the enemy to go. The the fragrance of the fruit of a spring season calls the serpents to go away. And a lot of times we attribute to we're moving forward and the enemy comes. Let me explain that. When we start to move forward, crowds will come and things start to happen. Jesus drew crowds. But you know what the fruit blossoming is? It's not the crowds. It's the crowds becoming disciples. It's not a lot of people coming to church. It's a lot of people being transformed on a walk with the Beloved. And when the transformation starts to happen in your life, the enemy recognizes the fragrance of that authority and says, I'm not messing with that. And what happens, we'll start to move forward and we'll get pushed back. I say to you, keep walking because when fruit starts to bud, the pushback will cease because he knows he don't stand a chance. Producing fruit in spring isn't just about evidence of walking with God. It is actually a key to warfare. And if if all we produce is bitterness and gossip and negativity, it brings the enemy to feed because it loves that fruit. But if we produce fruit from a walk with God, enemies will run. And if you find yourself murmuring about an issue... Maybe you should self-reflect and check what season you're living in that God has called you out of. Well, I'm sick and tired of being here. So is God. When am I going to move on from this season? God's like, I'm wondering about that too. Because you know what the scripture says? I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing. The issue, you want to know the truth is, you have no need. What you have is an issue about uh, what you have is an issue with moving your needs from heaven into reality. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is. Spiritual blessings are available to you, and you don't need them in heaven. You don't need the blessing of debt freedom in heaven. You don't need the blessing of a breakthrough in heaven. But the blessings, what you need, are in heaven. And he says, if you'll start to walk in spring and outdo the turtle doves with your praise, all the blessings I have and needs you, that the things that you need, they will actually shift in from a heavenly place to a dimension called earth. So it's not, it's, it's, it's a benefit of praise. You don't praise to get it. But God says that is the fruit of your praise. That is the fruit of springtime. <laughs> now, notice the beloved tells the woman, don't just come away with me on the walk. But he says, 
rise up. Now, I'm going to get into this in a second, but I want, to, I want you to look at verse 14. My dove is hiding behind the rocks, behind an outcrop on the cliff. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. This is the beloved talking. For your voice is pleasant and your face is lovely. This is the beloved. This is the king talking to the Shulamite woman. My dove is hiding behind the rocks, behind an outcrop on the cliff. Now let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is pleasant and your face is lovely. More accurately stated, according to the original manuscript, you, it says, you are my dove hidden in the rock. You are my dove hidden in the rock. What's significant about this? When Moses said, I want to see you, God, this is what it says in Exodus 33, verse 22. As my glorious present passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will remove my hand, let you see me from behind. My face will not be seen. You know where that conversation happened? It happened in the tent of meeting, a most holy secret place where God spoke. We find rest and we find our place in the rock, in Christ the solid rock I stand. He calls us up, up, rise up to a mountain, to a heavenly place, and he says, I want you to hide there in the cleft of the rock. He says, your hiding place needs to be with me and in me. And the beloved looks at her and says, not only hide here, come here. He says, your voice is pleasant and your face is lovely. And he says, I want to see you and I want to hear you. He says, no more hiding. I want to see you. Yeah, I want to see my dove. I want to hear you. You know what God is saying to her? You know what God is saying to you? He wants to see your worship displayed in who you are, and he wants to hear your voice and your prayer and your praise. Some versions of this even say, my dove is hidden in the rock and in the secret place of the stairs. Did you know that David called the church God's turtle dove? And that the secret place of the stairs is a place to commune with God. The stairs is this call to a higher calling. David compares the church to a turtle dove. And this, and this, this king says, hey, you're my dove. Come to the stairs. Rise up. You need to understand that you do not need to wait on heaven to experience heaven Heaven is actually open for you right now. It's called heaven on earth. I, I'm not, I, maybe some of you are thinking, I can't wait to get to heaven, but I'm already there. It's, it's all about your mindset. It's not, I want to get to heaven so I can experience peace. It's, I can experience the same peace now as in the heavens. I can experience the same joy as seeing Jesus there if I were to understand that he is just as present in this room as he is on the throne. And when we start to regard that and understand how present he actually is, everything will shift and we'll go out of winter and into the spring and our praise will rise and he'll say, there you are, come right here, hide in the cleft of this rock. But there's a something we got to do. How do we come out of these perverted hiding places? How do we come out of these secret places that we make for ourselves? How do we walk into this place where we're actually experiencing heavenly realities right here and right now? You know what he says in verse 15? He says, bride, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love. The grapevines are blossoming. See, a lot of times we experience the move of God where the grapevines are blossoming and the enemy is starting to scatter and demons fear and tremble. But then the little foxes come. The little foxes call compromise. The little foxes called mistrust. The little foxes called jealousy and uncontrolled desire. The little fox called pride. God says, catch the things that rob you of fruit that don't look like the goodness and divine nature of the beloved.
I'm not just pulling this out of nowhere. In Luke 13, Jesus even calls a Pharisee a fox. You know why he called the Pharisee a fox? Because the Pharisee told Jesus to leave the area because Herod wanted to kill him. Well, he was just trying to protect him, right? No, no, no. A fox tries to take you away from purpose. Remember what I've been talking about in the garden of good and evil, or the, the, the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not just the fruit of evil. He didn't want you to eat the fruit of evil or good. Because it's not about making a good decision. It's about making the decision that is going to lead you to your intended purpose. And there's a lot of good things that will take you out of divine pathways. I know it's kind of one of those sayings, but just because it's a good decision does not mean it's a God decision. And it's so true. He says, foxes are going to come. There's going to be people coming offering partnership that you think, wow, this is something that's really good. Wow, that's a great opportunity. God says, you make sure you catch those little foxes before they take away the fruit that's blossoming. And in verse 16 and 17, closing out chapter 2, it says, my lover is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. Before the dawn breezes blow and the night shadows flee, return to me, my love, like a gazelle or a young stag on the rugged mountains. This woman calls to her beloved and says, I am his and he is mine. So he browses the lilies. You know what browsing is? It's taking delight in. You know what the lilies represented? If you look in the original text, it's the kisses of God. So she's saying, my beloved delights among the kisses. What are the kisses? The moments he meets you and becomes familiar. It is the places where he says, I want to live with you right there. I want to commune with you right there. I want to meet you right there. I want to meet you with my kiss. He says he delights in it. Do you understand that God actually takes delight in meeting you wherever you're at? It's not a burden to him. He says, I take delight in those moments. I take delight in introducing you to who you are. God actually takes delight in when you wake up to, oh, that's me. Or, oh, that's not me. You know what he took delight in tonight? Oh, we walk into spring. We don't wait on it. He takes delight in those moments, meeting you face to face, showing you who you really are. These mountains she keeps speaking of were actually the mountains of Bether, or Bether, however you want to say it, look it up, don't correct me. <laughs> Translated literally, Bether is a Hebrew word meaning separation. But it's not necessarily a bad separation, it's disgusting. It's a truth that we may be physically separated from God for a time between heaven and earth. But what the beloved says is even in that separation, I want you to return to me. We can still walk together because I'm just as much here as I am there. We can't wait on God to return to embrace that same level of presence. We can't wait. God, we, 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 we say the same things. I can't wait for God to come back. Well, the reality is he's here. He's among us. But we tend to put focus on the literal separation. And the beloved is calling and saying, hey, I know I might be among the hills and, 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 and beyond the mountain, but I'm coming for you and my voice is just as real now as it will be when I'm literally in your presence. And he is here, church. He is calling us to a divine walk. He wants same even in separation. And we must answer that call by saying yes when he says come right now. Tonight, I encourage you to answer this call of saying I'm done hiding. I'm, I don't, I don't want to be hidden. I want to be found in the identity of my beloved. I am God's and God is mine. 
He, he wants you to say, here I am, here's my voice, and I'm ready. He wants you to accept your identity as beloved and beautiful. And he says, when you start to realize who you are, it breaks the gap of that separation and we'll actually start to dwell together. So stop hiding in the places that are the little foxes taking you away from the reality of a walk. Because he has made you good enough for the walk. God teaches us that we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again. If he puts that expectation on us not to be unequally yoked, he would never do the same thing for him. He wouldn't marry something that's unequal. So you know what he does? He says, let me die and redeem them so that this marriage is equally yoked. Do you realize that the bride of Christ is equally yoked with the bridegroom? You know what that means? You're worthy to marry him. You're worthy to walk with him. And if anyone ever tells you any different, that's when you say, get behind me, Satan. Because that's the fox trying to remove you from your purpose. You're worthy. You're righteous. You're a royal priesthood. You're sons and daughters. You're kings of the earth. Every one of us that believe in Jesus Christ our Lord. I mentioned this earlier today. I was giving a talk this morning and I talked about what baptism means. It's, it's, it is a symbol that you are dying to yourself, being immersed in the water, and you're raising up. But when you raise up to life, you're not just raised up to life, you are reborn. It is a symbol of being reborn into a new lineage. When you're reborn into the lineage of the king, how I grew up no longer bears weight. What my family did no longer bears weight because you are reborn into a separate lineage, a kingdom lineage. You are now married to God. And he says, let's go on a walk. The blood's calling. He is calling you to get out of your hiding places. So tonight as we close, this altar is going to be open. You can stay as long as you want. But I encourage you not to leave this place until you say, God, I'm done hiding. Maybe it looks like you need prayer. Maybe it looks like you need to sit in your seat. Maybe it looks like you need to release some praise to bring on the spring. But whatever it is, don't leave until you do it. Can we just say that winter's over and spring is here? Let's stand. Can we give God praise tonight? Come on, let's give God praise tonight. Lord, you are so good. God, we exalt you. We lift your name on high. God, tonight, we no longer want to stay in hiding places. We're saying yes to the wall. God, let us be awakened by your voice to the truth of even more communion with you. We don't want to stay in yesterday. We want to walk forward into the future that you've designed just for us, God. Tonight, we throw up our sails and we say, Holy Spirit, take us where you want. Jesus' name, everybody said. This altar is open. I encourage you to stay as long as you need. Be blessed.